podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You can't win anything with kids. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. How much are the players looking forward to Arsene Wenger arriving? <laughs> Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Phoenix Five Show. Well, I say the Phoenix Five Show, it's only the Phoenix Two today. Um, I'm here, David Graham, hosting again. Um, we've got Paul McGraw here, he's turned up. Hello, Paul, how are you, mate? Yeah, good, mate. Good, thank you. Yourself? Lovely. Yeah, not bad. Um, we're recording this episode in June. Um, pubs are open, lockdown's nearly finished. Um, England are playing in World Cup qualifiers. Well, the friendlies anyway against Romania. So three of the lads haven't turned up. But me and Paul are still here to bring you, uh, hopefully, another great episode. So this week, uh, as planned, we were going to talk about London clubs in the 1990s. Unfortunately, anyone listening that supports Millwall, Leighton Orient, Brentford, Barnet, and even my boys, Fulham, I'm afraid we have to push you to the side for a bit because you weren't in the Premier League in the 90s. So, um, yeah, we'll maybe we'll do something for you guys in the future. And as for Watford and Luton, well, sorry, but Hertfordshire and Bedfordshire, it's just staying in London. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we won't be focused on you. So we're going to basically be talking about London clubs. But just quickly, um, Paul, as I mentioned Watford and Luton there, just a quick thing. You know, when you go on holidays or if you go to any part of the UK and you speak, obviously, me and you are born and bred from London, uh, like the rest of the guys, and you speak to people maybe from Liverpool, Birmingham, Newcastle, etc., and they clock your accent. I've had in the past people say to me, oh, I had a cousin who lived in Luton or I, I've got a friend that lives in Stevenage. That's London, isn't it? I think no, it's not. Have you have you ever come across that thing where people think anything outside of the Watford Gap is London? <laughs> I haven't. No, I don't think I have no. actually. I think most of the time assume I'm from London, and they they don't actually say where in London. I but when I lived in, in America, everyone who thought I lived well, I was either Australian, and someone thought I was Egyptian um, for my accent. Honestly, that's yeah, how, how naive or how um, ill-informed. Some of the American people are on travel. That's a weird, that's a weird, I like that. That's a weird one because you never told me that before. Obviously, me and Paul and the other lads always grew up together, went to school together between, you know, um, 94 to 99. We grew up a lot of, with, uh, we went to school with a lot of Somali lads. So if they, if the Americans said, oh, you've got a Somali accent, I'll, I'd get that, mate, but not the Egyptian accent. That's a, that's a weird one. Rahimel Amali, what the name was. <laughs> exactly. So, um, okay. Obviously, me, me and Paul are here. We're both born and bred Londoners. Uh, Paul's from White City. I'm from East Acton. Anybody who doesn't know about that, just think of QPR and then you'll know. So um, the questions are, obviously, I'll go straight to Paul. So, Paul, you lived closer to Loftus Road than any of us. You were literally a stone's throw away, but you opted to support Manchester United. Can you give us a bit of um, info why you supported Man United? What was behind that sort of thing, mate? Uh, yeah, well... So the first game I went to was QPR. Um, it was QPR, I think West Ham was the first game I went to. I went to the England B games at Loftus Road. So yeah, that was like the first couple of games I went to. Then I went to a couple of Leighton Orient games, went to a Fulham game. Um, so I'd done the t- tour of, of a few of the London clubs. Um, but my family's like history is based in sort of uh, London, Paddock and that area as well. But I, have a, I remember my granddad used to take, or my great-granddad, took me to one of the games in Manchester years ago. Um, and it kind of just went from there, really. I think I think it was a, compared to going to like a London club, like QPR and stuff, when we went to Old Trafford for the first time, it was massive. It was huge. It was such a mm. different uh, feel to it. And at the time I followed 
um, wrestling as well. And, and I used to go up to the wrestling events up in Manchester. So I've always liked Manchester as a city. And obviously they were winning things at the time. When you're six, seven, you know, when you first go to your first couple of games, you support teams that are winning things. So that obviously comes a part of it. And then funny enough, my, um, uh, it's like my uncle's, uh, un- my uncle had a divorce from his wife, remarried and actually remarried Paul Scholes' mum. So I've always seemed to have these uh, pools of some sort of element of Manchester in, in my life. And um, it's like I lived in, obviously, I mentioned East Acton. I mean, I live probably about 15 minute walk. You live literally two minute walk, but didn't like didn't the roar of the crowds at Loftus Road. Obviously, they played obviously a lot. Then obviously the night games were near at home. Obviously, maybe Saturday he wasn't in. Didn't that entice you to go think, well, actually, I can hear that. They're in the Premier League. Well, shouldn't I just go and watch QPR? Just to, just never appeal to you, mate. At all. No, I did. I, I I saw a few QPR games. Um, my, my cousin or my uh, second cousin, I think, is, and he, he works at QPR. He's been there for God thirty odd years. Um, and I used to go to. He gets got us tickets to the games. I used to go to the QPR school uh, things, you know, the half terms. The I soccer schools, yeah. Yeah, soccer schools. I just never. Yeah. No, I don't know what it was. There was never an affinity with them. I always remember on the Saturday you could hear the crowd from our balcony when when QPR scores you could hear the crowd roar from that distance and being in the ground I've, I've being older now I prefer grounds like Queens Park Rangers where it is smaller and the atmosphere is completely different to these bigger soulless clubs that have, the atmosphere has disappeared from but yeah. no I just never had the the inclination I went to Fulham quite a bit I, I done my coaching badges through Fulham um, so I, I I would say Fulham was closer to me than QPR in the end. Um, when, mm. I, when I done the coaching, they went down to the Mottsburg Park, done some training sessions there, um, saw a lot of the players. And I was probably 17, 18 at the time. And I grew up an affinity with those, those that club, due off the back of that. But I'll always be Man United as number one. But then the Spurs, I've been to quite a lot of the games there. I think I'm a Man United fan at heart, but I, I like football and I like different things. Late in Orient, when I work there, I think when I work for clubs, I have an affinity with them. And I, you know, I, I get embedded in it and feel like you know this is a really a good club and uh, what they do for the community is quite important QPR is one club that I will say had a fantastic community element to it from a very young age I remember um, and I went on to work with uh, QPR in the community and a few other clubs I think QPR in terms of their reach was probably the best that I worked with in the community side of things mm. um, I had tickets for via the soccer school so going to watch QPR in the the Premier League of the early days. My first game was actually um, QPR Sheffield United in the old first division. But I also, um, my family's a big Sheffield Wednesday supporters. Um, I used to go and watch them a couple of times, went Chelsea away, Southampton away. But as you say, the, 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 the being forced into thing, yeah, it was never, it just never clicked with me. Um, even when they were in the Premier League, uh, my dad started taking me to watch Fulham in 95, 96 season, um, just to watch football. You know, I was f- football mad. Um, he took me to watch a couple of games and then back then as well Jimmy Hill was the manager um, chairman sorry um, Ian Branford was the manager I remember and there was people outside Fulham Football Club with buckets trying to raise money for save the club yeah you know, they, were, they were in the third division they were shit basically they were but they just Paul just clicked and my dad took me week in week out the second season we went we got a season ticket started going to away games and I just never looked back and it wasn't a Premier League sort of glory hunting thing, you know. It was just it just felt right, like you said. You're not forced into it. It's what feels right. So, do you not think it's interesting though, in terms of glory hunters and all these other things, and are they your local club and all this and that? Do you not find it funny that with football, it's one of the only things in life 
that you're not allowed to change. You can change jobs, you can change wives, you can change everything, your mm. style, your personality, but you cannot change football clubs. I've always found that very bizarre that it's such that people strike such an affinity of a club and such an affection for it that mm. it, it's tribal and you, you you can't change clubs. And if you've supported it, I mean, let's, let's look at it now on the realism side of it. Football is not a, with the EPL or whatever that Super League thing coming across. You've got to understand from another point of view, I think us as Britons and British people think very much like this is ours and we keep it and it's small. It's massive. Football is massive. These big clubs are humongous around the world. And do you think that a fan that lives in Sri Lanka but watches every single game because they're on every game is on TV, but they make a point to watch every single game is less of a fan than someone that goes four or five times a season but watches most of the games on TV? There's a really big question because a lot of people, the word glory hunter comes up. Man City fans will get a lot of it now. A lot of the young kids. Of course, of course. Man City, uh, says. But one, one, you don't want to be associated with failure. Why would you? Why would you want your children or anyone to support a failing club if they're going to support Man City? Obviously not for me, but you know, I just find it really interesting that people are not allowed to change clubs and people that have that affinity, which, a bit, which, which is a bit more like, oh, um, I like football, so I don't really support anyone, but I just like watching football. People find them strange. I, I do. I do. Certain people you speak to, I mean, you nail on the head there, Paul. I've, certain people I've worked through for the years, they have said I'm neutral, but I like so-and-so, but I like so-and-so. I think, well, you're not, to be a neutral, you don't like so-and-so, you don't like so-and-so, you're neutral. So they have got an affinity to one club. Do you know what I mean? But to be fair, mate, before we, we move on to actual London club subject, I must say my, my attitudes changed during the years. When we was at school, you had, I mean, you've obviously been a Manchester United fan through, throughout school. You had it all the time. You know, you only support Man United because of winning things. You're not, you're not from Manchester. Um, you should be supporting a London club. I believed in that years ago. But as I've got older, there's one thing that someone said to me once, and it's always stuck with me. So um, basically, it was um, to all, listen to this, to all Fulham supporters live in London. No. Someone said to me once, and I said, no. And they said to me, have you got a problem with that? And I couldn't answer them. <laughs> Mate, I couldn't answer them because they're they're sporting full and whether they're coming from Norway, America, yeah. or just down the road, and I mean Clapham. No, I just couldn't answer it. And it's it's right. It's true. It's not it is true, uh, isn't it? Because we think uh, as kids, and even now some people say it a bit of banter, but you know, if you said that you, you can only you should support your local team and that's the only team that you support, and you put in a radius, then every team have a very small supporter base. And it wouldn't be financially viable because you, mm. you know, there's a friend that my granddad flies over from Norway called Maud, um, flies over for all the home QPR games or before COVID used to fly over. Now he fly, he's quite wealthy, so can do that. So him having some wealth has allowed him to come back to English games and watch football every, you know, every other week. Yeah. But he's got friends that aren't as wealthy, big QPR fans, but they can't get over as much. Is one more of a support a supporter than the other because he can come and see the games? No. Mm. It's, it's, I think with this pressure goes behind it being a supporter that you have to go to all the games. I've got a friend who's a season ticket holder at Old Trafford. Um, and I, and obviously the Glazer thing. And I said, well, why don't you give it up? If you're that, if you're that bothered, if you want to stop and make change, and this goes to Newcastle fans, Tottenham fans, all these people now are on the ground about fan base, give up your ticket. And what he said to me, and I thought, oh, that's fair enough. He said, I'd rather keep my ticket knowing that I go to the ground and I do not spend a penny more than I have to. I don't buy a beer in the ground. I don't buy a program. I don't buy a scarf. I, I, I use the piss up and that's about it. He said, because the minute I give this up, this won't go into circulation for another season ticket. This will go to a, a tourist that wants to come to the ground, 
buy a magazine, buy a scarf, buy a beer, buy a pie, and they're making more money from my seat. And I mm. thought it's very interesting. Lovely points there, mate. It's a very 20, 2021 attitude there. Uh, <laughs> I can't disagree with anything you said because I totally agree. Um, so let's jump back into the 90s when we were when we were teenagers, when we were football mad. So we're from the West, we're from West London. So we start at West London, okay? Our manor, Mighty's Premier League. So West London was QPR and Chelsea. So we'll start with QPR. Um, season 92, 93, when the season actually Premier League first started. Um, QPR finished fifth above Spurs, Arsenal, Chelsea, Wimbledon and Palace. They're actually top London club. Um, this, this question was actually to Lee, but obviously he's not here. So I'll give it to you and I'll answer it as well. It was a big thing back then, um, top London club. I mean, when you talk to QPR supporters today, Paul, they still mention top London club. Um, when we talk about bragging rights, um, it meant a lot so much back then, doesn't it? And you know, we're not QPR fans ourselves, but for QPR to be top London club back then, for where they come from, it was a massive thing, wasn't it? Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. I think it's still a big big thing now, I think, for uh, London clubs. Back then, I don't think it's any more important. I mean, QPR finished above Liverpool that season as well. I mean, it was a massive coup above they Arsenal, above Chelsea. Yeah, they know. had a good squad that day. They had a really good squad. We spoke to Andy Sinton and he, you know, he, mm. he mentioned some of the players that they had there. But they were a selling club. Every year they would sell a player to kind of progress. Yeah. I think that, you know, was it was it sustainable? Possibly. If they kept everyone together, could they have pushed them, been the top London club for more than one season? Yeah, possibly. Um, they had, I mean, they had, let's Ferdinand. Andy Sinton, Bradley Allen, David Barsley, who made Player of the Year in 92, 93. Clive Wilson, who's mentioned quite a lot in this pod. Uh, Ray Wilkins, he was a, I mean, he was a lazy player, but he's a fan favourite at QPR. I mean, like you said, they, they did have a really good side. Um, I think it's when they when they sold Les in um, 95 to Newcastle. Would you say that was the, sort of the start of the end? Yeah, I think, I think 95, 96, I would also say was the start, not the start, but when bigger transfer fees started happening. And I think you started to see clubs like QPR, whose gate receipts would have been smaller than, you know, Arsenal and everyone else. They had, they've always had a very small capacity at the at the ground. I think it was about nineteen thousand, isn't it? Tops, yeah. I think. Yeah, it might be that. It might be less. I'm not too sure now. Mm. So no, it was a surprise. I suppose was it a surprise? I don't know. I think if you if you look at the Arsenal team at, the, at that stage, I don't think there was a. Uh, I think they were going for a bit of a dodgy period themselves. Uh, Spurs were just. Spurs, um, it wasn't when they finished the following season. I think they finished fifteenth the following season. If I'm right, well, they, they I don't think they were top clinical after. Um, but the players I've mentioned, um, obviously, they, like you said, they were a good side. But once Ferdinand left and the other, like, obviously, Sinton left, Wilson left, a lot of them went to Spurs, didn't they? They sort of they didn't really go on to better things, did they? Bar Ferdinand, so they had. What, what I've looked into, they had they got six million for Ferdinand. Um, they never really replaced him, have they? Even up to this day, they were linked with Roberto Baggio. I mean, you can laugh if you like, but they were linked with him. Um, but they, I mean, they they signed John Spencer and Gavin Peacock, but they spent a lot of money. They spent that six million on a lot of shit, Paul. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, I'll, 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 I'll give you the, the list of players, and you tell me what you think. Ned Zellick, Simon Osborne, Mark Haitley, Gregory Goodridge. I think he was on Torquay or somewhere. Lee Charles and Mike Sheeran. I mean, to me, what do you reckon? That's just a waste of money, no? I mean, apparently, um, Kevin Gallen and Dickie were prolific at youth level, but they were no they were no replacement for Les Ferdinand during that yeah. know, early nineties, mid nineties period. Well, I no? think that was the thing when you when you get you know at the time six million pounds and you you go and either do one or two things. You spend six million pounds on buying a replacement, 
or you buy seven players for six million pounds and hope that two of them are decent because mm. you know then you think well if two of them are decent we can not want uh, sell one further on down the line we'll recoup some more money and we'll reinvest that again i don't think they never i i think they always reinvested the money they got but maybe the transfer policy or the managers coming in just weren't as good as getting the signings and they once had um and then when you lose Les Ferdinand, he was getting, what, what, 18, 20 goals a season? Oh, he's prolific, wasn't he? Yeah. You, you, prolific, yeah. It's, it's very difficult for clubs to find someone to replace that 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 yeah. amount of goals with, and it's always going to struggle after there. I mean, they had Jerry Francis for X amount of years. Um, it wasn't, unfortunately, it wasn't Francis that took him down, it was Ray Wilkins. Um, this is where you you might want to rant, not so much rant, but this is uh, Man United in, involved here, Paul. Um, they got relegated in 1996, as I said, with Ray Wilkins in charge. We're talking Fergie time. Um, it wasn't the game that sent them down. Um, Katnar's equaliser. They reckon it was like 10 minutes into extra time. It, I mean, it, uh, it's not in only QPR play, um, supporters. When you talk to other people about the knowledgeable about the 90s like me, we are as, as a group, um, that seems to pop up. Obviously, it's not Katnar's fault. It's not Fergie's fault. The referee added nearly 10 minutes on. Um, do you think that was a major factor? Or would you say just QPR wasn't good? enough over those 38 games or however many was in that in that season no, listen listen no one gets relegated on one game that's the no, that's what I mean yeah and people say all the time no one wins a league on the on you can look back and go oh, if we beat them yeah maybe but then you might have not won the next game or whatever you know that's why the league is the hardest thing to go stay up in or to win because you've got to do it for 38 games not 37 consistency games. yeah got to be over you know, there's loads of options. You know, the the argument could be if they got them points, maybe it would have pushed them on to go and support something. You know, to to go on a little run, which but it's unproven. You can't base it on what could have happened, unfortunately, in football. Um, mm. Otherwise, we could all been you know Premier League winners and European champions and whatnot. Um, did it play a factor? Yeah, potentially because they. I I don't know what the run was like after that, but I'm assuming. It well, was it's a- the first now in the coffin, wasn't it? And then I think of the game, I'm not sure, Paul, but there wasn't like that. Well, I don't think that was the game that set them down, but I think it might be the game or the game after. So it was it was like the start of the end. But I think the major issue was the the, the 10 minutes, as QBR fans say, that was added on. Well, it's not- you know, it's, it's called Fergie time, isn't it? Yeah. But obviously Ferguson wasn't referee in the game. So it's quite a, a bit of a cliche. It doesn't mean anything. No, not just that. I think the other thing is you've got to bear in mind. I don't. I, I don't remember the game in terms of the ninety minutes. Of course, I don't. But how many injuries were there? How many subs were there? It's very. Mm. Easy. Well, they had done nine, ten minutes, but you can't remember was was someone injured at one point yeah. down for five minutes. You know, you only remember the bits that you want to remember of selective memory, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, but no, I, you know, I think they went down. I don't think they they really recovered. I don't think they've ever recovered from that relegation. Personally, yeah. um, I don't know if anyone's seen it. I'm sure the QPR fans have them. Uh, we've got. Uh, a chance to speak to Ian Dowie, hopefully, in, in a later episode. Um, the five-year plan DVD, when that came out, and I watched that with Flavio and Robert, the other uh, guy, I can't his name now, and it just shows you what shambles that the club was. I mean, mm. it was, you know, it, before Amazon had this behind-the-scenes thing, go and check the five-year plan out on, on Amazon or try and purchase it somewhere on eBay because it's it shows you how bonkers running a football club is. It really shows you... The crazy side of football. Never seen Claire's goal for QBR against Barnsley. That overhead kick, how far out it was. You must admit, even if you're only QBR fan, that was a fantastic goal, wasn't it? I think it's probably when I pick QBR goals, that's number one. When I pick best goals I've seen in my life, it, it touches. It's got to be in the top ten for me, Paul. Yeah. Um, if you could, you think of another better QBR goal? As we're talking about QBR, 
Well, is that top it through? That's the best one I think I've seen. I think Roy regularly done one against Leeds in the early days. Um, yeah, he's done no, a bit of a messy, but was, I think Claire's tops it for me. Yeah, it was technically it was superbly executed. Yeah, um, good. Yeah, it was it was a great goal. It's one it's one of those goals that will always be shown. So QPR will always have that in terms of TV presence. If you ever saw about top goals in football, I think that goal comes out of, of most people that like football. It's just a, you know, I don't think Messi ever... scores it. Ronaldo scores it. We don't shut up about it, do we? That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. but I think it's, it's it's a lot of time out of it, and I also think that. When you're talking of like executions, I don't think I've seen a better execution of a bicycle kick rather since. I agree. I don't think anyone I've ever seen a bicycle kick hit so well um, and so precise. And that distance as well. It's the distance that does it for me. Yeah, definitely. 100%. Lovely. So we'll move on to Chelsea then, just down the road from us. Um, early part of the 90s. Um, they were promoted to the top tier in 1990. They are players like Kerry Dixon, Gordon Jury, Mick Harford up top. Um, what do you actually remember about early Chelsea, Paul? Because early Chelsea, I remember, was a nothing club, mate. They never came into the conversation. Um, it was always QPR, Arsenal, not even Spurs, QPR, Arsenal, really. Um, yeah, early days, just say from 1995. What do you remember about Chelsea, mate? I don't remember much about them until, I would say, their FA Cup success, which are, you know, that, that run with Di Matteo, Petrescu, yeah. um, player managers with Zo- with uh, Viali and Rude Hullet, uh do you remember Hoddle coming in just before that? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I remember that. Um, obviously, Ken Bates was quite a, a, a well-known chairman at the time. Yeah. Um, the 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 feuds he was having with the fans, with the ground. Uh, no, I, I. It's weird with Chelsea because I know everyone should hate them, and we all hate them to a point because it's the the money of the modern side of things. But I did always used to like watching them play. Um, with, uh, was it Auto Glass was their sponsor, wasn't it, back in the uh, uh, mid-90s? No, Auto Glass, yeah, they had cause as well, didn't they? Yeah. Um, they had a couple of sponsors. Always, yeah, just at the beginning of the 90s, just to start off with, before we move on to the latter stage. I'd say, what, I, I can't remember anything nothing. of them, really, mate. No, nothing. Because I don't really know. When you talk about West London, it was always QPR for me. Back yeah, in the yeah. early 90s, you know. Chelsea weren't really mentioned. Like I just mentioned, we've got Kerry Dixon, Gordon Dewey, Mick Harford. When you think of Chelsea... Back in it, don't really, they don't really come in your head, do they? Um, I think that obviously Glenn Oddle came in from Swindon. Yeah, go on, sorry, mate. But I think it comes into play that also the difference when you look at QPR and you look at Chelsea. Um, you know, everyone goes to the attraction of London. What Chelsea did very well was when they signed imports. Because if you look at QPR's, yeah, obviously the, the, the Premier League they went down, so it was a bit difficult, but. Chelsea were one Chelsea kicked on, didn't it? Really, yeah, on that stage when QPR, yeah. yeah, nothing to do with QPR, but that's when they kicked on. Yeah, go on. That's when they when QPR went down, they kicked on, and that's when yeah. they they were one of. If you think of foreign signings for clubs, the two clubs that come to my head at the uh, mid nineties and the one London club is Chelsea. You know, they had a lot of foreign people came out come over. Like I can remember predominantly being like, you know, as I said, Dan Petrescu. Um, yeah, Sola, Desai, Leboeuf, Deschamps, yeah. Laudrup, Panucci, Petrescu. The list goes on, doesn't it? Yeah, very, very heavy on foreigners in that period. Um, I could probably, if I had to name 10 Chelsea players in that period, I don't think I'm thinking, even then, thinking of many English players in that, that first 11. Yeah, that's you know? a great point, Paul, because I was just going to come on to that. Chelsea were the first side ever in English football to name a first 11 that were non-English. Oh, that really? was during the 1990s. Oh, I thought it was Arsenal. So that's interesting. No, it was Chelsea. Right. It was Chelsea. Yeah, Chelsea. Um, and that's when they started winning a few trophies as well. I don't remember how much... Well, I had a look in and I can't remember... They were quite successful, actually, from the mid-90s going on to the late-90s. It's before Abramovich even arrived. They had two FA Cups, a League Cup, a Cup Winners' Cup and a Super Cup. But this is where you come in. You're 
you like the money side of it. Um, even at that stage, when they had all those foreign imports, they still didn't. There were no match for Manchester United, um, even no match for Arsenal. Um, they won those trophies, but they were still struggling financially. Ken Bates was in charge, and this is where you're going to take over, mate. A helicopter came over to buy um, from Russia to buy White Hart Lane. A certain Mr. Sugar said no. Abramovich had a look down, and what happened, mate? Well, I think if I'm right, I think the first thing he flew over was Wembley. And I'm sure, and I, if I got this wrong, please correct me. I'm sure he did. And he was like, what's that? And they was like, oh, no, no, you can't buy that. It's the National Stadium. Um, they was like, but, you know, and he's like, the, the Tottenham thing. And then it was like, okay, I can't have them show me around. He saw Stanford Bridge and said, I'll have, I'll have that, more or less. And I, I remember that thought, being in the even standard poll. And it, I'm sure the deal was concluded in something silly, like in a couple of days. It was like very quickly done. It yeah, but but what Bates did do, which I think was very wise at the time, is he sold everything to Abramovich. But the gra- the actual um, playing surface, the pitch, is owned by Chelsea fans. There's a okay. trust set up. So at any stage, they have, I don't know if they have a, a yearly lease or what it is. So when the again go back to the Super League, when that got brought up, um, I think this is the and he's been trying to buy it off them for years, but um, they haven't managed to secure the voting rights to to, to buy it. Uh, but I think, yeah, it, that that's a big game changer when he came into the uh, mm. into the Premier League. I know Holland, if he was here, would be going about Man United bought the league uh, uh, constantly. But again, there's a difference between buying the league, uh, like a Jack Walker who used personal wealth to buy a league. Did, um, yeah, like we've said before, Paul. Sorry to bite him, mate, but uh, you know Jack Walker did throw. Even though when you look back at what Walker spent, it's it's peanuts, isn't it, compared to this day and age? Yeah. But he did throw money. He gave Doug Leach basically an open checkbook, and Doug Leach won the league of it. People seem I'm not I'm not a Blackburn fan, not a United fan, but people seem to forget that Doug Leach did have an open checkbook and he spent it wisely, and Blackburn won the Premier League. Yeah, exactly. And I think you know, not going to go back. You know, I would go back to the thing, but same thing. You know, it it wasn't that, that was a single person who ran the club who threw money at it, mm. and Roman came in. And as I said in the early ones, it, it was like championship manager. It was like they were linked to everybody and they could literally sign anybody, it felt like. But they actually didn't really sign anybody of note, um, really, because no one wanted to go there. It wasn't like, the, you know, they weren't winning things. The history isn't there to be like, oh, come to Chelsea. It was just the London mm-hmm. pool. But then they obviously started getting some bigger names later on, like the Shevchenkos and players like that. Um, but it was exciting. It was really exciting. It's exciting for, you know, for, as a... A neutral, I can imagine. All of a sudden, there's this new team in town. But as you said, they had been winning things leading up to this. They weren't. Yeah, they Man, had, City yeah. was different. Man City's money comes. Man City with you know League One or whatever at the time, and there was a, a, a lot of difference in the club. Chelsea had some sort of winning mentality there, a good cup team, and they just needed a bit of a, a push to show what they could achieve. Yeah, it sounds like Bates was spending. What's the word I'm looking for? He was spending. Uh, um, you know, when you haven't got the money, I can't think of it at the top of my head, but you're spending among your, me- among your means. Yeah. You know what I'm trying to say? Beyond, beyond, they were struggling. They were winning yeah. trophies, like you said, but they were struggling financially. And that's when Abramovich took that debt away and then transformed it into the noughties. Um, yeah, it's quite a strange situation. So um, no more on Chelsea, really. But I want to ask you, in your opinion, Paul, in, during the 1990s, who was Chelsea's best player, would you say, from your memory? During 1990 to 1999, who stood out for you, would you say, it was quality. Was... Do you know, there's a lot. I like. I, there's a lot of players there in that period. Mm. Um, Zola sticks out for me. Well, Zola's the first one that comes to my head in the 1990s is Zola. 
Yeah, yeah, but I think he sticks out for everyone. And I think if Zoda, everyone yeah. knew Zoda was great. But I really like Frank LeBeouf. And I don't think he gets mentioned enough. When you think a great... Positive defender, I think. Premier yeah. League defenders. You know, we've done underrated. We've done rate 11s. He doesn't get mentioned. I think Frank LeBeouf was fantastic for Chelsea. Yeah, um, good shout, yeah. There's a lot. Yeah, I don't know. They, I think they just... I always, as I said, I enjoy watching Chelsea play. I, I mean, I, I always thought they had a bit of flair around them. There was a bit of the continental side about them. They were a bit of a bonkers club, as I said, with the player-manager situation, which was... Well, they had two, didn't they? They had Hoddle and then they had Hullet. Yeah. And then Viali as well. So I think I think Viali was player-manager. So you had three yeah. in a 10-year period, didn't you? Yeah. That's, that's crazy. It you was, don't hear of player-managers anymore. So, yeah. Oh. So, no, I, I, Le Buff, I really enjoyed watching, but obviously the Zola was just phenomenal in that period yeah. in terms of... And again, it, I think it's interesting because we've on our WhatsApp group we've spoken about Beckham, uh, sorry, Burkamp and Cantona mm. um, in terms of technical and all this other stuff we've argued back and forth in the Hall of Fames. If Zola had won a league, would Zola be in the same bracket as the Burkamps and Cantonas? Good question. Um, if you're asking me personally, you know what I'm like, Paul, I, I do study pe- players technically. Um, that's one thing I do look, especially their first touch. And I've got to say, no. Not for me. Uh, Zola was fantastic. He's one of the Premier League greats. But if you ask me to pick between Burkamp and Zola, Burkamp pisses all over him, to be honest. <laughs> Burkamp had that something extra. No, he really does. You know, I'm not an Arsenal fan at all. I'm, I'm a Fulham supporter. I've got soft spots for different players, soft spots for different clubs. Arsenal isn't one of them. But Burkamp, oh, he's he's he's, he's different. He's different gear. Well, he was different gear. Um, yeah, before we move on to a different part of London, I just want to ask you, Stick with Chelsea just a bit longer. Did you ever go to the old Stamford Bridge? When I say the old Stamford Bridge, it's still the same ground, but it's completely different. Um, I went there with my uncle back in 94, 95. He took me Sheffield Wednesday, Chelsea away. And it was an open end. So you had the shed. Um, I can't remember the two, the Matthew Arden stand. Uh, it was very open. You had a dog track around the end. You had cars around there. It's completely different. But you know what I'm like, mate? I'm very traditional. And I love that. I love the terracing. It was um completely different atmosphere. Um, did you ever go to, to, to the bridge? I know, I'm guessing you've been to the bridge what it's like now. Did you ever go to the bridge before no, 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 it was no, um, seater I've never been. I've never been to the bridge. It's the only, not the only London club. Okay. Of White Hart Lane, uh, Old Stadium, uh, the uh, Old West Ham Stadium, the Charlton, uh, yeah. Fulham, QPR. Oh, good. So we can, when we talk about those clubs, you can talk about it. Yeah, I just assumed you've been to Stamford Bridge. No, it's the only one I haven't yeah, been Yeah, I think they're very samey now, mate, but the Old Stamford Bridge, uh, people slag it off, you know, because it's old-fashioned. That character years ago. Um, yeah, but yeah, I didn't enjoy my time there. Currently but... years ago. That's the difference now. Yeah. They, again, going back to my earlier comment about being a business, um, or, you know, White Hart, the new White Hart Lane is different. The, the new it's way... impressive, isn't it? But it's not... Yeah, they're fantastic. Ain't old school, is it? Sporting, they're sporting stadiums now. Yeah, they're yeah, stadiums, I agree. not football stadiums. They are geared yeah. up um, to... Good analysis. Of, I like that. Host gigs and concerts and... It's about the functionality and the practicality of it now. Profit, um, yeah, there's yeah. there's nothing like a you know I was saying earlier about the, the when I went to Old Trafford and the, the the vast amount of fans and how I got that that feel of it of a big big feeling compared to now. It, it, yeah, yeah, it's it's completely different. And even now, we go to Old Trafford, it's a completely different atmosphere than it was, and the ground hasn't hasn't changed massively. It's a bit more derelict, I would say now. But in terms of it's also the people going to watch the games now. Mm. It is more of a tourist thing and yeah or where you go it, that, that's a, a massive factor in it and tourists aren't going to mess you go there and shouting and screaming they're going to go there and watch unfortunately the no yeah you're right yeah. okay lovely um so we're right we move on to north london um there's only two teams to talk about really sorry barnet 
but it's uh, Arsenal with Spurs. Um, obviously, we've done we've done loads of episodes where you and Dave have argued about Man United and, and Arsenal. Um, I won't say you've got a hatred for Arsenal, but you're not too keen on them. So let's let's start with Arsenal anyway. So two nineties, two league titles, two FA Cups, one League Cup, uh, one one uh, one Cup Winners Cup, sorry, and three Charity Shields. Um, so it's nine pieces of silverware in a nine-year period under two managers. Um, you've mentioned in the past, I think we've done, really done the Champions League episode, you mentioned you thought um, George Graham was a better manager than Arsene Wenger. So obviously George Graham was early 90s. Do you still stick by that, Paul? Do you think he was more successful? Because the 1-0 to the Arsenal thing, they were very boring to watch. But looking at the trophies won, as you stated in the past, he does seem more excess- successful when it comes to silverware. Yeah, I... I- uh, we spoke to Winter Burn and obviously he had a, an opinion on both managers as well. Um, and I think, I don't know, I, I wouldn't say George Graham was a, maybe maybe the word better manager is different. It's, they're different styles of manager. Mm. But I think Graham's way was very effective. Um, won a lot of trophies. Uh, when you look at Wenger's period, he had a very long period there. And I think, it's the 90s, though. That's what I'm saying. Just during that period, the 90s period. Oh, well, they're, they're, they're Graham. 2000. Yeah, Graham's more successful. I, yeah. I, don't think, I think it's hands down Graham's more successful. Um, I think you're talking about changing cultures in clubs. Yeah, Arsene Wenger wins hands down. You know, if you have Pep Guardiola now at, at Man City, um, say, you know, obviously it's been, he's won more than a Wenger's won in his period already. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? In terms of leads, mm-hmm. he's already done that. What Wenger took X amount of years to do, he's done it in a very short period. Yeah, if Pep comes in his first season, doesn't win the league, which which happened, um, but the style of football you could see in this following year, the style of football was there, but didn't win the league. The third season, they're phenomenal. They win the league. Then for three or four seasons, they don't win the league. Pep Guardiola would be heralded as his great manager, um, and he would be whatever it would be you would lord over him. But yes, his style of football may be revolutionary, but it doesn't make him the best manager. Not saying this and Pep and Wenger are comparable. It's very different. But I think you look at what Wenger did in the 90s and early 2000s was very, very good. Um, but you can't just judge people on half a career. You've got to look at things for a, for a career. And yeah. uh, you've got to be successful for a career, not for yeah. six years of a career and, and then 12 years. No, I, I, I understand that. But as you're keeping it 90s, let's take a look at this. Then, no, I, I agree with what you're saying, Paul. Um, but in 94, 95, Arsenal finished 12th. I mean, that's, that's low, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was 94, 95. Um, obviously, the beginning of the decade, you've mentioned it before, Rob Dave's nose in it. They got knocked out to Wrexham in the FA Cup. Yeah. Um, <laughs> George Graham was sacked over, but allegedly, bungs, etc. against Nor- uh, Dan- was it Dan- Norwegian players, Danish players, wherever they were. Yeah, Norsen, was um, Riot came in, wasn't very successful, but he did bring Dennis Burkamp. So, Vega came in, I think it was 90, uh, 95 or 96, and did change the game. But as we just focused on London clubs, not so much their achievements and stuff, let's talk about the derby days. Um, Spurs versus Arsenal. Now, I want to have a little bit, bit of a say about this because bragging rights to me, I mean, I live in Wolverhampton now, and bragging rights up here are massive, Paul, when it comes to Wolverhampton Wanderers and West Bromwich Albion. Um, I've heard of bragging rights in the past. Keep your Chelsea's not really major. Keep, um, Arsenal, Spurs, back in the 90s and before I'm a big, etc. They Mate, up here, they fucking hate each other. They really ate, ate each other. And because they're so close and local, it is when you go to work the next day, you do have those bragging rights. And I do think it's a fan thing. I do not think in this day and age, it ain't a player thing. And I do I do blame that on the foreign influence. It's not their fault because they don't understand the English game. 
they're just going out to play another game means fuck all to them. But bragging rights, let's go keep it in the 90s. How, I mean, you're a Manchester United fan, so for Manchester United to beat Manchester City or Liverpool, that's massive. In the 90s, how big was bragging rights for Spurs to beat, especially Spurs to beat Arsenal or Arsenal to beat Spurs, either way. Well, obviously, Arsenal were the bigger club. How big was it in the 90s and how, how much has it sort of, what's the word, degraded in today's age? You know, But start with the 90s for me, mate. It's difficult. I don't know. So bragging rights for me, obviously being a Man United fan in a London school with QPR and Arsenal fans and Liverpool fans in our, our class mm. and stuff like that. So the bragging rights for us was beating that, that team. So I know bragging rights are generally about your, your rivalries with London clubs. Oh, yeah. clubs. But I use it as that. And that was being in school, it was important to beat those clubs. In terms of what it meant to fans back then, I do think it still has a very high position now. I do think it is very important. It's not as important to some of them because I think the fan base is more global now. So you don't have that going into work. You know, in, in the 90s, you probably say if you went into work, you worked at around the North London area. You probably weren't mostly were either Arsenal fans, Tottenham fans, or the or a Barnet fan generally. Yeah. Whereas now you go into work, you've got 15 clubs that are supported in, in a small space. So I don't necessarily think you've got that immediate impact of rivalry. But families, if you've got different family members that support different halves of London or Manchester or Liverpool, whatever it would be. And I, I think that's huge. And I, I think players do have a massive feel for it still if they're local. I would say in the United with Rashford and McTominay and players like that, they know what it's like. To, to want to win a derby or win against Liverpool. And I think it's the same for, well, I don't know about Arsenal in the past as much. Having, again, not having a lot of British players, it, it does make it more difficult. Um, yeah. I think that like Harry Kane will know the importance of trying to beat an Arsenal, you know, to what it means. And when we spoke to Raw Fox and he said about working man's clubs and... So yeah, I think it's a good example, Raw Fox, yeah. Even though he yeah. wasn't a Londoner, he understood what, what it meant. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so I think it's... I don't think it's not as important now. But again, I just think it's... There's so many more avenues to, to to respond to things now. If you look at it like that, you go on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, you could be hit from left, right and centre if your team gets beat by your rivals. You're in fan groups or whatever it would be, or football Facebook chats. So I think it's still there, or WhatsApp groups. Yeah, I think it is still there. I, think it was imp- I don't think it was any less important necessarily. I just think the importance of it has changed because the working man clubs are not there as much now. Um the souls of the clubs of those local fans aren't there as much, but everyone still wants to win their, win, win their, their, their local derby. You know, I think it's, it still means a lot, hell of a lot to a lot, hell of a lot of people. Definitely. Um, so let's move on to the other side of North London. Let's talk about a bit about Spurs. Um, they started the decade with a trophy. That, um, it was the FA Cup win against Forest, famous Gaza one. Um, they ended it with a trophy as well, a boring 1-0 win against Leicester, I think, and Alan Nielsen goal. But in between that, Paul, there was really nothing. I mean, I don't like jumping into 2021, but not a lot has changed really, has it? Um, stick with the 90s. What's your thoughts on Spurs in the 90s? Because I'm guessing, like me, there's not a lot, a bit like Chelsea, there's not a lot to report on them, really. You know, they. I mean, they had, before you answer, sorry, mate, they had eight managers in that nine, uh, from 1990 to 99, they had eight managers and two caretaker managers. Whereas the London, uh, North London rivals, Arsenal only had the two. I mean, that, I mean, they won a couple of trophies, but nothing to match Arsenal. It's pretty, pretty dire, really, isn't it? You know. Now, well, we, we at school, we, we always used to speak about Manchester United, um, Arsenal, London club, QPR, early days, London club, Spurs, Chelsea, early days. We spoke yeah. more about, about Juventus. Let's be fair. Yeah, no, agreed. But I think, you know? but I do think that's 
quality players in the 90s and they had a quality team, but they just, again, was it the ownership with Sugar being in control who just liked to be front and centre of things and seems to, from what we've seen of him, like likes to have an argument with people. You know, Clay Klingsman, Sheridan. Um, oh, see, so yeah, I was just going to get on to the Klingsman thing. Do you think... Oh, sorry. No, Clint, the Klingsman, they signed him from Monaco. Um, it was great out front with Sheridan for a season. We, I think we mentioned him in our um, Deadly Duos episode. But do you think the lack of support from behind, from the midfield, do you think that sort of spoiled it? But obviously, Klinsman is a world-class, well, he was a world-class striker at that time. Um, more or less, that's for on Teddy. Yeah, I mean, again, it's 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 hard. You know what I mean? It's... How do you, you know, just getting Klinsman, you could argue at the time, yeah. the best, best, one of the best forwards. Oh, it's a coupe, isn't it? Massive coupe. Yeah, so you build on that. But again, it was only one season and he moved on. So he came back, didn't he? And he was nowhere near the. He, no. he was more or less finished, wasn't he? Yeah. He, was, he would peaked at ninety, didn't he? Let's be fair. So yeah, but you know, if, if they managed to keep him for longer than a season, who knows what could have happened with, with the mm. right players behind him? Um, yeah, I don't know. I I, I like Tottenham. I've I've got a, 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 a close friend or a friend of mine that's a um, a season ticket holder. I've got a few friends that are season ticket holders at Tottenham. Um, mm. I think most of my fat my mates are, are Tottenham fans. I've got about six Spurs fans. Um, and they say the same thing. It's just they're a balmy club. I mean, Ferguson summed it up when when we went three 0 down. And he said, "What's happening, lads? You know, it's Spurs." I think that was kind of what people saw of them. Spursy, they call it, don't they? Spursy, yeah, they're doing a Spurs. Um, decent cup team. Yeah, didn't push push on, but again, the money in the game has a factor in that because you did start to see, obviously, um, in the in the in the nineties, I think. They had some good players, but again, would you argue they were a selling club? Would you say in that period? I don't even think. I just don't think they were good enough, Paul. Um, <laughs> I was just trying to think. Uh, some of the signings would die, weren't they? I mean, they had top me. Yeah, they had Jason Dazel, Ramon Vega, Paolo Tremazzani. I mean, he's a good example for you. Um, Sugar was no. Was it David Dean at the time at Arsenal? Was wasn't it Dean? Um, when they got Wenger, they're equivalent was Christian Gross. Uh, we've mentioned him on the pod a few times with his bus ticket, his train ticket, sorry. He was no match for Wenger. And a famous quote was, well, you laugh at this one. This is a corker. When Arsenal signed <laughs> Dennis Burkamp, apparently, well, it's not apparently, it's fact. I've actually seen him come out of his mouth. Um, Alan Sugar turned around and sort of shrugged his shoulder and said, well, they signed Dennis Burkamp, but we've signed Chris Armstrong. That's to say, we've got Chris Armstrong. You, you compare Dennis Burkamp to Chris Armstrong. Jeez, no wonder Spurs didn't win fuck all, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> well, they didn't dominate like United or Arsenal did. So, yeah, it's, they were a bit like a, a poor relative. And as to add to that, Paul, before we move on to another part of London, um, Spurs kit supplier in the 90s was Pony. What's it? What's the Cockney rhyming slang for Pony? It's old, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Pony and trap crap. So, I think that's, <laughs> you know, there's some Spurs up really, didn't it? Unfortunately, David Oliver ain't this. He would have them, but yeah, he's more chesting in the beer tonight, but never mind. So we'll move on to the East End. Um, sorry, late in Orient. Uh, <laughs> we're still yet to see you in the Premier League, but the night was only West Ham United. Um, I think they got promoted in 92. So, Paul, what's your first when you think of West Ham? What's the first in the 90s? What's the first thing you think of, mate? Hey, Redknapp. Yeah, I was going to say the same, Redknapp straight away. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think, um, yeah, yeah go on. I think wheeling, dealing. Ducking, diving, mm. youth system, transfers, you know, Joe Cole, Rio Ferdinand, Frank Lampard, uh, Paolo Di Canio going there. Um, 
jeez, oh, I mean, uh, I mean, you summed it up. You summed it up lovely, mate. Really, you took words out of your mouth. You went from Youth Academy, so we're talking Rio Ferdinand, Michael Carrick, Joe Cole, Frank Lampard, and then you talk about signings. He signed a load of shit, didn't he? Danny Boogers, Radichoy, Futre, Porfirio. It's a catch-22 system, but yeah, yeah. And then, obviously, he did sign some decent players, like I just mentioned, the Canio Hartson, Mark Vivian, Farway. But, yeah. Oh, sorry, mate. Yeah, carry on. The thoughts of West Ham, they're a bit of a wheeling-dealing club, like you said. Yeah, I think that West Ham, I mean, they... they Again, it goes back to that thing, doesn't it? And he's come out in the past and said, if we kept them players, we we could have won a league, which is all great and well, but... I don't believe that, do you? No, because you, you develop no. differently in different clubs. I don't, you, you, that's where... They would have, they would have won a cup potentially, yeah. And they might have finished in the top four potentially, yeah. But would those players have gone on to be the same players that they stayed at West Ham and, and been pushed at the West Ham level as opposed to going on to a Chelsea and Arsenal, Liverpool, Man United, whatever it would be? No, is the answer to that. They they wouldn't have done. Uh, yeah, great great history with, with West Ham. I, I, not so Do much. Do you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think the players we've met? Forget the well, not so much forget the flops because they were a major part. Do you think it's weird that they always bottom off? That I mean, you mentioned that Harry Rennett said they could have won a league, they could have won a cup. But when we were kids, mate, when we were in the 90s, they was always bottom off. They were always always in with your Coventries, weren't they? Always in with your West, with your, um, your Southamptons, your Barnsleys even, when they were in the Premier League. Yeah. Why do you think they just didn't... I mean, Harry Rednap, do you think it's a character thing with Rednap or do you think he was not being harsh, overrated? Because um, no, until he went to Portsmouth, I don't remember really remember him doing anything as in... Silverware will qualify for Europe, you know. No, I wouldn't say he's overrated at, at, at West Ham, not at all. I wouldn't, wouldn't say that. I you think, know what I mean, though, by achievement. Yeah, but, so. but but remember, back in I would say the mid nineties onwards, when when you started getting the one team league, because you had Arsenal, Liverpool, then you had Man United. It was kind of Man United winning it and Arsenal coming to challenge. I think from ninety five onwards, it was difficult for clubs to push up and to make that next step because everyone was strengthened being strengthened behind and top clubs mm. did come in and take players, you know, so they did have a lot, a lot of players there that, that would get sold and then they would bring players in that wouldn't be a, a anywhere near as good. They'd replica. Yeah, replica, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they had some good players there and they, they, yeah, they did. That's my point. That's my point. I'm trying to make to you. You said about red naps saying they could have been a league cup, but the players that they did have, cause they sound a lot of shit, but they had a lot of good youth talent and they did sign decent players as well. That's what I'm saying. Do you think how red was slightly, overrated did his character play a big part do you remember we spoke the other day about Jimmy Bullard's character and mm. Adam Miller he said about his character played a massive part he was they looked at his character before they looked at his football ability do you think people in the 90s looked at Redknapp's character more than they looked at his management ability that's all that's what I meant mate I don't know because you'd have to ask a West Ham fan but if you say to a West Ham yeah. fan in the 90s what what would be classed a successful season it was finishing Staying up truly yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. With the success and having a decent cup run. And if any West Ham fans, I know Jamie, um, a friend of mine, is, is listens to the show. If I'm wrong, obviously you can correct me on this, mate. But I think they were a, fun, a good club to watch. They were a good local club. They were entertaining to watch. They had a decent cup run here and there. They had some very good individual talents. They had some good teams at stages. But uh, again, you say a bit bottom mid table, the bottom half of the table. Well, they were, weren't they? Let's be fair. Well, that's probably what they were, were at the time. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That thing again, it's 20 teams in the league and they had some good finishes there at West Ham as well in that period. They did finish, I think, eight for one one season and um, or was it nine for one season? And obviously that, that, that Hearts and Kitson combination when they were, were, were in, the, in the dire straits, they came in and scored a bundle of goals to keep them up. 
Yeah, I just thought it was at a level. I don't think, I think Harry Redknapp sort of, it sounds weird, but peaked at Portsmouth, you know? Oh, I, I think you done no. I don't think you peaked at Spurs. I think I think no, you, no. He had a fantastic run at, at Spurs. I, I, arguably, I think from the players that he had, he, he had a fantastic run at Spurs, and I think they no trophies. This is the CV in it again. This is what we talk about. Yeah, but uh, yeah, trophies, trophies at Portsmouth. It's yeah, it's a, it's a hard one, isn't it? You know. Because moving on to South London, <laughs> um, we, we had Crystal Palace, Charlton, and Wimbledon. But we will start with Charlton. Um, you managed. Mentioned when a manager leaves, everything falls to shit. I think a Kirbyshire at Charlton. Um, oh. They're one season. In, yeah, they're one season in the nineties. Um, don't get confused with their yo-yo in the in the noughties. In the nineties, they they won the playoffs in '98. Um, we all remember that. Um, so Alan Kirbyshire in the nineties with the Addicts had one season. Unfortunately, they got relegated. Um, I remember Clive Mendonk and Richard Rufus. I'm surprised I didn't put him in underrated at the time under Richard Rufus. But when I mentioned Kirbyshire there, your eyes lit up. Um, so if you've got an affection fellow Kirby because it sounds like when he left Charlton went to shit and they're still in the shit in 2021 mate yeah i tell you what what that is and again speaking obviously difficultly neutral um, I've I've done I've had two I've met Kirby twice um, lovely man both times gave a lot of time um, very enthusiastic and I've heard a lot of uh, about what he's what he's Okay, I'm going to use Burnley as a modern-day example because it's, it's a very good comparison to use. Burnley came up for a season, went down. They used that money to invest in the training ground, uh, into the st- stadium, got back up the following season, and they've been a, a very good club now. Now, Stable, yeah. Stable, that's the word. Yeah. Now people might question, where are Burnley going? What are their ambitions? Do we need to find a new manager? Is it time to move on? And that's what happened at, at Charlton. He then got full, uh, full, not full start. I think he went, he left and then went to West Ham at some stage. But it was almost like, well, he's taken them where he can go. It's time to move on. And sometimes you just keep with someone because you know what they're doing is a good job. And you're not a top five or top 10 or Premier League club. You're going to go up and go down. And I, I think he's, you, you think the top English manager at the time, he was linked to the England job at, uh, at one stage. Yeah, I was going to say that, but that was more into the noughties. That's why I sort of stick clear of it. Oh, yeah, no, you're right. He was. That, All but the time again, he was linked home. You're right. He was. It's difficult to just base it on nineties because that, that is, uh, you know, in terms of memories, a lot of mine are mid to late nineties to early two thousands. And I think he just, he came out of the game for a period of time. Mm. Um, and then all of a sudden he was forgotten about. And he couldn't get back yeah. in. It was like taking, I think he was at Fulham. Did he go to Fulham as a technical director? Yeah, he was there for a bit, mate. I don't think it was like manager. I no, think he was like director. I think he yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He was, yeah, he was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I don't know. I think Charlton were, were interesting to watch again. Definitely. Yo-yo club, as you said, in the in the 2000s, in the 90s, they got up and it's difficult as well to come up from that league. And, yeah. and I be- think the playoff final, sorry, mate, I think the playoff final in that decade in the 90s is what you remember for, didn't you? Yeah. Against Sunderland. Yeah. And Michael yeah. Gray missed them getting promoted. It's probably, I mean, we haven't done an episode on it. I know you're keen to do one. Yeah. Um, it's something we haven't really spoke about, but I think anybody of our age and before, when you think about playoffs in the 90s, that's the one that comes to your head, didn't it, really? It's a fantastic game. What a yeah. game it was. Unfortunately, well, someone had to lose it with Sunderland, you know? Yeah, playoffs in the 90s. We've spoken about it. We were brilliant. You know, four fours, four threes. Yeah. Um, the Swindon saga with them going up, but then not because there was some bribes were done or some match fixing of some sort. Mm. And you had, you know, the, the the Charlton game. Yeah, man, it was brilliant. That that, that okay. 
But you knew again back in the day when these teams come up most of the time. I mean, it was quite often. I might be wrong in, about having the stats in front of me, but how often teams, the three teams that went up, two went down. Um, if not yeah. the first season, the second. Within two seasons, the three teams that come up, two, if not all three, have gone down within two years of coming up because it's a it's a ruthless league. Um, you know, you, you always come up and you get a surprise package. Sheffield United in recent times and then the following season, they go back, they get relegated. Yeah. Um, it's a hard league. But yeah, I think Charlton now, back in the time, I think they they were up and coming, growing. They were, they were again, very good in the community, Charlton were. Um, Still are, I think, aren't they, from what I've read? So, yeah. Yeah. Very so, much a community club, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, we'll go a bit further down the road to the Eagles, Crystal Palace. Um, now, we, when you think about yo-yo clubs in the 90s, um, the first club I think comes to your head is Sunderland. But uh, uh, you could be further from the truth. It's definitely Crystal Palace. Yeah. During the 1990-99 period, they had three promotions and three relegations. I mean, that's your ultimate yo-yo club, isn't it? I mean, they started the decade with um, Ian Wright, Mark Bright and Andy Gray. I mean, three fantastic players there, all England internationals. Well, I, there again, don't misquote me. I can't remember if Mark Bright played for um, England. Um, Furious might have to correct me on that. But Andy Gray and Ian Wright definitely did. But they were a fantastic trio. Um, that was just slightly before my time. I mean, they played Man United in the 1990 FA Cup final. Um, Paul, you might be able to remember that. Um, all those three players played there. It was... I think, wasn't it the first game, the draw, the 2-2 was a classic and then the replay midweek was shit. Something like that. I can vaguely remember it, mate. Well, the replay is the famous um, Robins goal that saved Ferguson. Robins, that's right, yeah. yeah. Saved Ferguson from being sacked. Um, so it was a big big game under Ferguson, Stuart, uh, yeah. allegedly. Although Martin Edwards has come out and said that he was going to keep his job regardless, but easy to say in hindsight. Um, mm. But yeah, I don't remember a lot about it. I remember... Antonio Lombardi. Yeah, that was mid-90s. I was just going to come on to them. Um, Ian Wright, obviously, um, Arsenal took him away from Palace. Sheffield Wednesday took Mark Bright away from um, Palace and Spurs took Andy Gray away. So they were left for basically no one, really. Just Cookie Coleman at the back. <laughs> um, going on to mid-90s, when we remember, um, you mentioned Lombardo. You had, this is the thing, right? Okay, listen to these. You had Lombardo, was half decent. He was good in, it, it, you know, in Italy at Juventus, wasn't he, in Sabdoria. They got an overweight Thomas Broly, uh, Michelle Padovano from Juventus. I don't yeah. know what happened there. Those three players really just didn't perform, did they? I mean, coming to the Premier League, Paul, I mean, we're massive fans of Ita um, Italian football. They've all come from Italian football. I mean, Broly's gone via Leeds, but um, we've, we've always remarked on how good Italian football is. And we spoke to Brian Dean and a couple of others about those certain players. Just why do you think... You know, stick with Crystal Palace. Why do you think it just didn't settle? Why it didn't work for them? Two reasons. One, they come over. They come over at the, the end of their career. It wasn't like they were coming in their prime. Um, two, well, three reasons. Two, they would have got more money uh, coming over here at the time with the Premier League, giving out bigger contracts. And three, you don't get the time on the ball they would have been used to in those other countries. You know, people forget. You can you can name your Zolas, your Burkamps, and these players, but for every one of them, you could probably name five foreigners that were flops. Because it, it, you had to be truly exceptional at that stage to really sh not okay, but to shine, you had to be pretty good, and you had to be under twenty-seven. Realistically, how many foreigners came over at that point stage at uh, at thirty, thirty-one, and then they just couldn't cut it? You know, the fitness might have been there, but the the brutality of the league at the time. It wasn't. When you go to look at Juventus and Italy and Spain, it was a lot more less physical 
and a lot more time on the ball. When you come here, Bosch, you, listen, this is England. Welcome. Yeah. Do you think that Palace was the wrong club for those three players I mentioned? Do you think that there just wasn't around good enough players to perform? Oh, no, no. Do you think that's a cop-out? That's a cop-out. I think you're good, good players are good players regardless. Yes, of mm. course, you can have a dip in form. Yes, of course, you might not... You, you, you don't hit the potential. Being around better players does make a difference. Of course it does. It helps, doesn't it? It That's does help. Of course it does. But your individual performance should still be of some sort of standard to hold you accountable to. The weird thing is, um, I agree with this Lombardo thing. Um, he's probably the best out of the three I mentioned. He, he was, you know, I think he was back in the 30s. Well, I guess. But he, he looked old anyway, didn't he? <laughs> the Padovano thing. I don't know what happened there. But the Brolin thing, to this day, Paul, still intrigues me. Because we spoke to Brian Dean. And he couldn't really nail it down. He just said he didn't settle. But for someone that had that amount of ability playing in the Euros, um, World Cup USA 94, was that good for Palmer winning trophies to come to play in the Premier League, which wasn't as good as Serie A at that time? I, I, I'm still, I'm still no none the wiser. I just, I can't understand how a player of that, I've never called in world class, borderline maybe at that time, how a guy can put that much weight on? I mean, it's got to be, what do you reckon? Do you, Jane, it's got to be, I mean, maybe Palace fans would be able to tell us. Well, I mean, what went wrong? I mean, if, if Broly, when he went to United in 1994, 95, do you think he would have gone, it put so much weight on? And do you think it would have been as bad as what he was at Leeds to Palace? Yeah. The Fergie effect. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think? Yeah, maybe. Maybe what his heart okay. went Maybe just, he, he fell out of love with the game. Maybe he weren't that bothered. Because you, you could look at, do you think, sorry, do, just to add, do you think playing around Roy Keane, Ryan Giggs, Paul Ince would not have made him think, right, hang on a minute, I can win European trophies, I can win leagues, I want X amount of money a year, I could be a great. Do you not yeah, think maybe. I just but, the, but, It's the Broline effect, you know, I don't get it. Yeah, but if he's, if he's not enjoying his football and not really bothered by it anymore, then that's what happens. It's like any job. No, fair enough. We were, yeah, it's, a, it's a waste, isn't it, really? It is a waste, but as you said, he, he's won things in his career. He's, he's played in major tournaments. Maybe in his mind, he had nothing else to achieve, and this was just a way to earn mm. money at the end of it. And didn't give a shit. They actually actually won a trophy, um, a major trophy, if you can call it that. They won the full Members' Cup in 1991, beating Everton 4-1 at Wembley. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you can educate me on this, Paul. I've never even heard of it. It wasn't called the full Members' Cup. It was sponsored by Zenith Datas or something. Um, I don't understand what that competition was, what it was for, but fair play to Palace. They got a bit of silverware in the 1990s. Do you remember that, mate? I don't remember it. I, I remember doing research before. It was um, it was only around for about seven years, was it? So seven, eight years? Eight years yeah, I, just don't, I don't really have a lot of memory about it. Exactly. But I think it was done to try and launch another trophy. So there's the FA mm. Cup and the League Cup. But we weren't in Europe. I'm sure for a large period that we weren't in Europe. Because we got high sort thing, I think. Yeah. yeah. And then Man United had that thing about non-foreign rules. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, I know you're going. Wrong, yeah. I think the full members' cup was a cup for the members of the English league um, that mm. went into it, and it was it was that that was there that the extra games to replace not to replace Europe, so teams had more games to play. But I might be wrong. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't I don't remember much about it, mate. To be honest, yeah, but but what, not yeah, they had a trophy anyway. Fair play to them. Say again. Well, didn't Nottingham Forest win it as well? They won it a couple of times. Chelsea, did Chelsea won that as well? I'm sure they did. I'm not sure, mate. So, so my, my memory on that is very vague. I, I, it's not a thing I could really talk about. A bit like the Anglo-Italian Cup. I remember it existed, yeah. but I couldn't remember what the point of it was, you know. But anyway, yeah, we've kind of covered Palace. So we've got one more club to um, nail down now. Not so much South London, but uh, South West London. Um, that's a crazy gang. That's Wimbledon. Um, yeah <laughs> I mean I've got a soft spot for them I always did back in those days 
Um, I've got a theory. Well, it's not so much a theory. I think it's fact, really. There's no right or wrong way to play football. At the end of the day, you've got to put the ball in the back of the net, no matter how you do it. It's three points in the day. Um, Paul, Wimbledon, long ball merchants, shit crowds, it's too worth two to three thousand. That's bad for Premier League football, even if it was in the early noughties. Our pool to play against, but they were just big, physical. I mean, when you look at back at footage of years ago, you, speak, you see Ferguson, um, George Graham, Wenger, you know, manager, run that big run. They look at when they're talking and say, Well, blimey, we've got Wimbledon or we've just played Wimbledon. What do you expect? Didn't enjoy that. They're a, I wouldn't say a horrible team like Millwall. I think when you talk about Millwall, you think about their fans. But in even this day and age, I'd hate my side to play against uh, Wimbledon. They're horrible, very physical, very elbowy, wouldn't they? What's your memories of Millwall in the night? Uh, sorry, Millwall, got them on the brain. What's your memories of Wimbledon in the night, Paul? Is it everything uh, I've said or can you add well, a bit more think, to that? Yeah, no, well, I think my cousin was a support, um, uh, Jordan's was a, was a Wimbledon fan. I remember going, he used to go to his house and he had the... Um, the the things up, the posters up with the Wimbledon players back in the day and the scarves and stuff. Um, so I remember watching, you know, obviously the Beckham goal against Wimbledon. Um, Neil Sullivan, who we spoke about, is a good goal. Do you know what? I think what was happening with Wimbledon, football was, was transitioning. Football was making a change. And Wimbledon were one of the clubs that were anti-establishment almost, anti-change. And, they and it, were, it was working to an extent, wasn't it? Yeah, of course it was. It was working very well, very effectively. You know, winning the trophy, you know, that, that's a massive coup. Um, oh, it's hump the ball. At, sorry, Paul. It was get the ball to the two big men up the top. Well, at the time, it was um, Holdsworth, a cuckoo, and Don Fashionu. Yeah. It was not the ball down and pump it in the back of the net. And it, it worked. It worked through that whole decade until that, the Norwegians took was. over. Am I right? But that's sorry, what, go on, Aaron. That's what English football was. You know, of, of yeah. course, your Liverpools and your, your flair players and your. Uh, down football but a lot of the, the 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 teams were get it up top get it in the channels knock it in the box that was english football to a to a degree um mm. 92 to 98 it, it was changing uh, you had more kind of the foreign influences the, the start of wenger coming in and then they kind of went away but then you had like your stokes um taking the banner on and being that hard physical team now I don't think there is a team that's like that now I don't, it wouldn't get no. away with it well Wimbledon play a game in, 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 if you take that Wimbledon team put it in a game in 2021 that game ain't finishing with, with it ain't finishing because you're not going to have 11 players on when the- you yeah when you think of Fashnu Holdsworth and the Cuckoo I don't know about you Paul but I think elbows they're very elbowy do you know when you go up for the ball the elbows are out very physical side don't, don't get me wrong, don't mis, misquote me, as in they're not elbowing in the face. They mm-hmm. use their elbows a lot. Ball at chest, put it down, knock it on and score goals. Very kick and rush. Very boring to this day and age, but very effective. Very, very effective. And that's why they were in the Premier League for that amount of time. Yeah. The Norwegians well, came in, didn't they? You had Ego Olsen on his wellies. <laughs> oh, and you take up. They tried to change things, mate, and then they went down. I mean, they had money troubles, I know, but... When Kinnear went, was that? Would you say when Joe Kinnear went, was that? And the Norwegians came in. I mean, look at now; they're, they're actually Milton Keynes Dons, aren't they? You know, unfortunately, well, they're not, yeah, they're not. There's no such thing as Wimbledon. As you say, it's MK. Yeah. Dons. arguably, they're not Wimbledon. Wimbledon, AFC Wimbledon, or AFC Wimbledon. So, oh, Wimbledon. Yeah. So it went into split uh, into factions almost, or it splintered off. Do you know what? I yeah, Wimbledon. I, I 
You say that. I think the difference is we, we, we've mentioned all these other clubs and we can mention players of class, of some degree of class. You, you know, Lombardi at, um, uh, at, at Palace and players at West Ham. There's all these people that you can think, oh, they, they, were, they were class. When you think of Wimbledon, you don't think anyone there was a, a great footballer. Yeah, I agree. There wasn't, was there? Let's be fair. You know, you're bang on. Um, so I, I think that's the difference. Effective, yes. Style of play, brutal, yes. Did you know you had a, had a game against Wimbledon? Yes. Did they beat yeah. teams in the tunnel? Yes. You know, all these things, but it was never going to be sustainable in football as football was transitioning. But yeah. in that period, more successful than QPR. In that period, arguably more successful than, than Tottenham. And how much did yeah, Wimbledon I agree. compared to all these other yeah. clubs? You know, so history can't be, can't be changed. They won an FA Cup. It was one of the greatest FA Cup wins in, in, in FA Cup history. Um, and they did it their way. And I think that, that as a club, um, I know they used a relatively small uh, fan base. Uh, and the early 90s, yeah, they did. Yeah, they yeah. were having crowds between two and 3,000, Paul. I mean, that's yeah. pretty bad. That's what it's going to come on to next. Um, do you think they were punching above their weight, even if they oh. were in the top league of, of English football? Were they punching above their weight because they were beating big teams as well? It depends what you mean by punching above their weight because they... they well, basically, think, should they have gone down straight away? But they won't. They, they stayed in there in the ten, more or less a 10-year period, didn't they? You know? Well, they stayed there because they're good enough. That's it. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. That's the, the expression you use, isn't it? Punching above their weight. They yeah. shouldn't have been in there, but they were. They did enough to I stay think when there, you punch you know? above your weight, you punch above your weight for a season or two because you think, oh, yeah. you know, they've been up there a few... Yeah, that's a, I, yeah, that's a good, good... I agree with that. That's quite when a good analysis. Mate, yeah. is, they weren't a yo-yo club, Wimbledon. They were in the Premier League. No, no, no. Do you know what I mean? That's that's an achievement yeah. in itself, and I think people are quick to forget how good they were in that period at, at what they did. You know, yeah. but you did, did say about the quality of players they had. So really, you, you know, I agree. Um, they didn't have any class at all, did they? Didn't. If you, I, I think I was going to ask you, um, uh, my favourite player from the nineties of Wimbledon, the first thing. I mean, I used to like Big John Fashionu, but he moved to. Um, Aston Villa, I think, in the mid nineties. But Robbie Earl, I mean, he, he was probably their probably their best player that actually had a bit of class. Yeah. What's the world yeah. class? Don't get me wrong, but um, yeah, they didn't have any outstanding players, did they? But that's what I meant. I, mean, I, mean, I didn't mean to be offensive to them, but you yeah. know, it's what I mean about punching above their weight. They had no one, but they were still doing a job consistently. I over the last one that came through was was it Carlton Colt Colt Colton? Oh, Carl Colt, yeah, but they Colt. straight away um, Newcastle snatched him, didn't they? Yeah. And I think that was it. That was the beginning of the end when when then they had Carl yeah. Court kind of come through and they got snapped up. Is that what their model's broken because they can't even evolve to become something different because yeah. they're not oh, yeah. the ability to keep any players that show any quality. They're going to always be stolen away. Um, but Ego Olsen's bullies, I forgot about them. Oh, God. Yeah, it's iconic, isn't it? Unfortunately, Wimbledon fans won't thank you for it. But it's like, well, like we said, that's the start of the end. But... Um, yeah, that's um. We have a good insight there to London Club to the nineties, mate. It's been uh, it's been great. So um, obviously I had a little mini quiz prepared for the lads. I've still got it here in front of me. I'm not going to do it obviously to an extent, but I've got a couple of players here. If you just like to answer them, there's a couple of curveballs in here. Basically, mm -hmm. from ninety two to ninety nine, I've put a few players down and uh, see if you can tell what club they played for during ninety two to ninety nine. Watch London Club. It's a London play, London based quiz. Okay. So um, just to finish off this episode, so um, in between 92 and 99, Paul Parker, who did he play for? QPR. That's why it's a curveball. In the Premier League era, he played for Chelsea. Did he Did he really? Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's mad. Mate, I had to Google that. 
Paul Parker, he left QPR in when well, it was the old first division, went to Manchester United. He came to my boys, Fulham, for a couple of games. Then he went, he played for Chelsea, I think like in 97, 98. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have to go with that. Here's another one for you. Um, John Barnes. Watford. Who John Barnes oh, played Charlton, for? Charlton. Charlton, yeah, I didn't think you get that. Yeah, he played for Charlton. Well done. Um, let's have another one. Uh, Pat van der Howe, do you remember him? Yeah. Yeah, what London club did he play for? Were they a Premier League club? Yeah. They were. Oh, Premier League. Yeah. Well, Pat van der Howe sounds Dutch, but he was Welsh, didn't he? he played for Wales. Yeah. I'm going to go with Palace. No, it's Spurs. I'll give you one more because he was he's for everyone. So he's another curveball as well. David Rowcastle. God rest his soul, Rocky. Arsenal, we know we played at. No, that's it. It's the thing. It's the first, the first oh. club people think it was Arsenal. He's gone, he's gone years before. Then he played with Chelsea. Another one. Mate, I didn't know that. It's only because I was doing a bit of research for the quiz. Rowcastle, Chelsea. Nah, I don't remember that. Done a bit, of, you know, when you go into Google looking at the images, you think, actually, that does ring a bell, but I don't remember him playing. So, yeah, there's a few curveballs there. So, um, me and Paul have given a bit of um, analysis on London clubs in the 90s. Um, hopefully all you guys that are listening your club's been involved but if they're not hopefully we'll talk about your Millwalls your Brentfords your My Boys your Fulhams your Orients etc in the near future um, hopefully you enjoyed it um, have a note to our Instagram and Twitter accounts and our latest quiz our um, episode of the which I've renamed the Danny Blanche Flower Trophy that'll be going live soon um, that's available on Spotify on Apple and other podcasts uh, any, any other podcasts that are available we're normally on there anyway so um, yeah uh, like I say hope you enjoyed it take care and we'll see you soon see you next week bye Sports Social Podcast Network